There is a, an expression that the older generation in Scotland that they are uh, fond of using. There's an expression, I suppose, that speaks of that which is unusual or unique. Um, maybe you can imagine it for a second. There's, a, there's an old granny in Scotland, an old grandmother, and she is uh, looking out of her window, uh, you know, peeking through the net curtains there, looking out on her street just as a young person walks by, outrageously dressed. Okay, so what does the granny do? Oh, she's outraged, you know. She Oh, she shakes her head. And then she uses the expression, she says, I've never seen the like. I've never seen the like. Well, as we today uh, sit at a time of uh, pandemic, COVID-19, isn't it true that we could probably use a similar expression ourselves? Yes, we know, don't we, that uh, throughout history, there's been similar occurrences, the plague and you know, Spanish flu and so forth. But in all the time that you have been on this earth, friend, have you ever seen the like? We really haven't, have we? I mean, to think, as I'm speaking to you just now, to think that places like uh, St. Mark's Square in Venice are completely deserted, to think that there are multitudes throughout the world quarantined, or to think that, as I speak to you just now, that uh, the London underground is quiet. That really brings it home, uh, doesn't it? These are unprecedented times in, in our life. Now, all of this has really happened very fast, hasn't it? So as we try to kind of catch our breath and begin to analyse and assess this, I wonder if you would agree, don't you agree that the reaction of many in our society could be summed up in one word, the reaction we've seen from so many could be summed up in the word panic. Isn't that right? Isn't that, isn't that what we've seen from so many people? Like there, uh, this outbreak happens and immediately Tesco is, is gutted of its toilet roll, isn't it? And this outbreak is announced and people are terror scrolling through their phones and having panic attacks. What we see from so many people is, is, is just an outcry. It is, is worry, it is anxiety, it is true panic. Well, I suppose all of this raises the issue for us. Is that sort of response, is it legitimate for us? I mean, after all, we are children of the living God. We are people who are in Christ. So are we to be as worried as our unbelieving neighbour about COVID-19? Can I go further than that? Is any anxiety about this pandemic, any true anxiety, is it warranted from the Christian? Well, just now in our short time together like this, as strange as it might seem, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on just a couple of verses from God's Word, and I want you to hear this. These are just some of the most welcome words you could ever hear at a time like this. They're so encouraging. And I'll tell you why. Uh, what Paul does in Philippians here, what he does is he tells us how we can have relief from anxiety in our lives as Christians. Did, did you hear that? Did the boys and girls hear that? Did, did everyone, did the elderly 
Here, do we get that? But what Paul does in Philippians is he shows you, if you're a Christian, he shows you how, even in a time of coronavirus and pandemic, how you can, at a time like this, be set free from the chains of worry in your life. That's welcome news, isn't it? So here's what I'm hoping. I'm kind of hoping that uh, you've maybe printed off the sheet with the Bible verses on it. Or you've maybe at least got access to that on your phone, iPad, or as I'm speaking to you now, you may be pelting through to your bedside table to pick up your Bible. Okay, well, I'm hoping you've got Philippians 4 in front of you. What we're going to do, or what I'm going to do, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to do is try and highlight a few things that, that God does in this text. Okay, first thing I want you to think about is that here God issues a caution. God issues a caution. Okay. Right, let's, let's, let's try and get into this. Um, at London City Presbyterian Church, what we've got is a number of house group Bible studies, don't we? If you're part of the church, you're a member of the church, you know this. You would think that the senior minister would know how many uh, small group Bible studies we've got. I think it's five, maybe it's six, but they're dotted throughout London on different days. Now, at one of these house groups, what... Um, what I'm actually doing at this moment is I'm going through this very letter with one of those uh, small groups. But this is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's not just that group. I'm hoping that it's all of us know something about the context or the setting of Philippians. Is that true of you? I think it is. Yeah, it is, right? I mean, we know that Paul has established a church in the first century in a city called Philippi, hasn't he? And it's a church that we uh, learn quite a lot about in Acts 16. What else do we know? We know that then subsequently, though he's geographically removed from the Philippians, he's so concerned for them, he loves them so much. What does he do? He writes them a letter, and it's a letter in which he's trying to push them towards unity as a church and push them towards joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's good, right? That's fine, isn't it? That's kind of big picture stuff. This is actually what I want you to remember about Philippians. At this point here, these are Christians, like us, these are Christians who are going through troubled times. You remember that about the Philippians? These are people who are facing opposition, they're facing pain, persecution, certainly the beginnings of persecution. Now, when we remember that and recognise that, isn't it really interesting to, to notice the prohibition that Paul gives them in verse 6. So I'd ask you all to just have a look at verse 6 and look at the caution that God gives, that Paul gives. Look at it in verse 6. Do you see what it is? I'll give you a second to find it, verse 6. What is it? Do you see what he says? Let's just deal with the first bit. He says to them, in this time of crisis and trial, he says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. Okay, you're, you're sitting there, you're listening just now. Can I ask you, What's your response to that sort of injunction or prohibition? Don't be anxious, worry. What, what do you think, honestly? Just thinking about it. You may be thinking, are you, sounds nice, but it's a bit unrealistic in certain circumstances. Is that what you're thinking? Like, after all, look at us. Man, we are, we're living through a, a deadly pandemic. So maybe the boys and girls listening, maybe the elderly people listening, like you may be thinking, right, that sounds that sounds like the idea. Don't worry about stuff like that, or don't don't be anxious. It sounds great, but it's a bit pie in the sky. You thinking like that? Well, let's be clear about what Paul is not doing. Like here, Paul is not 
diminishing the Philippines' plight. Like elsewhere in the letter, he talks about the real trouble, he talks about the opponents, the opposition they face. He's not kind of diminishing it, or pushing it away. He's, he's not, neither is he asking them just to forget about their trouble or just pretend it doesn't happen. And I think, actually, if we're going to get this right, you know, just now, if we're going to wrestle with this anxiety, maybe, maybe we need to linger on a couple of aspects of this, okay? So you follow me here. First thing I want you to really wrestle with and grasp is just how comprehensive this caution is. And here let me be, uh, let me speak personally to you. It's kind of, it's easier for me to do this now sitting in my living room than it would be if I'm at church and preaching. I can be pretty, like, heart on my sleeve, cars on the table type stuff. Um, this is honestly the case for me that I think that I have confession time, you know. I think I have a really sinful threshold when it comes to worry and anxiety in my life. I think I'm okay when there's lesser worries going on in my life. You know, like I can kind of recognise, oh, I'm worried about that, but that's not a big deal. I shouldn't be worried about it. So, I'm, you know, I, I'll take it to God in prayer and I'll confess my sin and I'll try not to worry about it. Right, I'm okay. But do you know what happens in my life? When things get more serious, that changes. I seem to have this subconscious line and across that line, I view certain things as being totally legitimate to be anxious about. Are you the same as that? Like you can imagine it, like if my kids get ill or if there's, or if there's a pastoral problem, a big one, or financial matters, or, or whatever it is, that maybe crosses the line, that threshold. And I begin to look at that and think, well, that's fine to worry about. Okay, that's fine for me to be, that's a legitimate thing for, for me to be anxious. Now, if that's you, can I ask you to look again at what Paul says in, in verse 6? Look at it. It's amazing. Look what Paul doesn't say. That Paul doesn't say to me and to you, he doesn't say, okay, Andy, don't be anxious unless it's a serious thing. He doesn't say, to us, don't be anxious unless it's a worldwide pan pandemic. Look what he does say. He says, don't be worried about anything. Anything at all. And you've got to remember right now where Paul is when he's writing this. Where is he? You know this. Even the boys and girls know where Paul is, right? He's in jail. This is a guy who is facing potentially an, an imminent threat of death in jail in Rome. And he's saying, don't worry. Like, he's not joking about it. He's not, we really are not, as Christians, not be anxious about anything at all. But then there's the, the other element to think about. And this is lovely. This is, this is, this excites me greatly. Is to think about the future orientation of this caution. Because maybe, like me, um, you've been reading a lot of Christian blogs or Christian articles in this time of coronavirus. Have you been doing that? There's, uh, I've been doing that. There's so, it's not a bad thing to do, right? And there's so much written from, uh, by Christians about coronavirus and COVID-19. There's, there's so much of it out there. And that's, there's no bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. Uh, but maybe you've noticed, what I've noticed, that a lot of these articles and blogs, yes, they will quote the phrase that we're looking at here. So they'll quote this phrase in Philippians, but what lots of them will do, not all of them, but some, they will cut 
out the first part of the phrase. That they'll begin the phrase halfway through. Let me show you. Look, have a look here at the end of verse 5. Have a look at it. Do, do you see? Like, what does Paul say? Paul doesn't say, this is phrase isn't, do not be anxious about anything. What is actually, what does he say? Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Do, the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious. Now, what you've got to understand is that there's lots of debate about that phrase, the Lord is at hand. So the debate is about where it sits. Like, does that phrase, does it end what comes before it? Or does that phrase come with our verse of what comes after it? But do you know what I think's happening? Listen to this. I think what Paul is doing here is the same as he does elsewhere. I think he's using Psalm 148. And listen to this. That is a psalm where God is said to be at hand. God is said to be near to those, just like Philippians, those who call out to him. Do, do you see how exciting it is? Do you see what that means? It means not only does this phrase, the Lord is at hand, belong with our verse, it shows you what Paul is doing here. What is Paul doing? Listen to me, please. In the last of a long, long line of eschatological phrases in Philippians, here, right now, Paul is pointing the church ahead, isn't he? He's saying to these Philippian Christians, don't you be given over to anxiety. No, why not? Because Jesus shall soon return. He's saying, don't be given to worry. Don't be given over to anxiety. Because, because, why? The Lord is at hand. And I don't know about you, but, but surely, as we sit, as you sit in your home, and as I sit here, surely, perhaps this is a message that we need to hear. Because you, you know what we're like. You know, we can be given to undue, undue concern. We can be so worried about COVID-19 that what happens is that we lose Oh yes, we lose our eternal perspective. And isn't that what God is underlining for you just now? Can I ask you, are you panicking? You look back in the last week, have you lost sleep? Is this stuff, this pandemic, is it just dominated all of your thinking? If you are a Christian, listen to me. You must remember, life is but a breath. And very soon, as a Christian... Your eyes shall see Jesus. You will see your Saviour. And very soon you will live with him in a place where sin, where illness, you will live with Jesus in a place where even viruses seem like a thing of the past. So God, what does he do here? God issues a caution. A second thing, excuse me, <coughs> that I want us to notice is that God also provides an alternative. So he doesn't just tell us not to worry. God also provides us with an alternative. Now, what do you think about this, right? If we were to speak to our <coughs> an unbelieving neighbour, right? We were to speak to uh, an unbelieving, somebody who's not a Christian, an unbelieving family member or friend. Would you agree that it's probably not going to be long before... If we were to speak to them about anxiety, it wouldn't be long before we would hear a very common and well-known phrase, right? Isn't that I could even sing the phrase to you? Don't worry, I shall not, I shall refrain or restrain myself from doing that. But you know that the world has an alternative to worry, doesn't it? What, what, what is the phrase? Don't worry, be happy. 
Isn't that the alternative that the world puts forward, isn't it? Well, here in Philippians, yes, our God gives us the Christian alternative to anxiety, but you're going to see that is a far cry from the thinking of the world. So again, I'm going to ask you to look at your Bible, to look at the text with me. So you point your kids to it if you've got kids with you. So have a look this time at the end of verse 6. Okay, I'll give you a second to find it, at the end of verse 6. So we're thinking about the alternative. So what does God say? But if you look at the end of it, so he said, don't be anxious, uh, instead, and then you get to the end and he says, he said, like, let your requests be made known to God. So, so uh, in essence, what would you say that is? What's the alternative? Is God not saying this? Don't be anxious, instead, pray. Isn't that it? Don't be anxious instead, pray. Now, <coughs> excuse me, as we did a moment ago in our first heading, I think there's a couple of areas of this uh, alternative that you and I should kind of try and zero in on. The first is to think about the nature of this alternative. See, I wonder if you notice this. Did you notice that in verse 6, it's quite, uh, quite a thought really, in verse 6, Paul gives you four terms uh, to describe prayer. I wonder if there's boys and girls listening, which I know there are. You can stop your doing your worksheet or whatever. If you can look at verse 6, boys and girls, and if you can try and get the four terms Paul uses for prayer. Okay? I'll try. I'll give you a second to find them. If you look through it, four terms for prayer. Let's see them. Do you see them? In verse 6, he mentions prayer. He mentions supplication, he mentions thanksgiving, and he mentions requests. Now, what we could do is, I think, think about or focus on Paul's intention there. Do you see what Paul's doing? Like, by mentioning these four things, he's not trying to give you and me a sort of robust doctrine of prayer, is he? That's not what he's doing. He's just trying to show you how important prayer is in a time of crisis, isn't he? Do you not see that? He's saying to you, come on, Christian, pray. Now pray in a time of crisis. Pray in all manner, all types of prayer. That's what he's doing, and we can linger on that. Instead, I, wanna, I, I do want to ask you this. What strikes you about those terms that Paul uses? Come on, something surely grabs your attention, doesn't it? Think about those terms. What, what strikes you about them? Can I tell you what, what grabs me by the scruff of the neck? It's the fact that in times of crisis, Paul commands us to pray with thanksgiving. Like, isn't that an amazing thought? Like scripture, God by the Holy Spirit, your scripture is telling us that even when the ch- chips are down, even when things are terrible and set against us, we're not just to pray, our prayers are to be laced through with gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And, and surely we've just got to stop and apply that. Because again, I have to ask you, Christian friend, are you worried? Are you given over to anxiety just now? Will you not hear that? Will you not heed Paul's instructions? You pray. Like later on today, you pray, set aside time to pray. Pray with your family if you have them there. Pray by yourself. Go in a closet, shut the door, pray. But don't you see it? Thank God. Pray, yeah, with requests and intercession. Pray with gratitude. Thank God for all that you have just now. Thank God for all that he has done by his grace for you in Christ Jesus. So we have to think about the nature of the, the alternative. But then the second element is to think about the purpose. 
of this alternative and yes, 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 yes. Here, we're going to do what we always do. If you're a member of LCPC tuning in, right, you know what we tend to do. Nearly every sermon we have a question. I love my question. So I'm going to set a question for you. So please, young to old, if you're tuning in, I want you to consider the answer to this. Think about if you can answer this question. Here it is. Here it is for you. Prayer. Why? Why is it prayer that is the alternative to anxiety in Scripture? Why prayer? You see the question, don't you? Like, why doesn't Paul say to us, um, do not be anxious, instead count your blessings? Why doesn't he say that? Like, why doesn't Paul say, and it'd be legitimate in a way, wouldn't it? Why doesn't he say, don't be anxious, instead, Christian, sing for, sing with joy to God, lift up your voice and sing. Why is the alternative? Why is it prayer? Do you see the answer? Do you? Friends, prayer is the alternative because prayer is the complete antithesis to anxiety. And you see it, don't you? You think about it for a moment. What is anxiety? What is worry? Oh, worry. It is at its core a lack of faith in God. We don't like hearing that, do we? But it's true. What we doing when we worry, when we're anxious and duly about stuff, what we doing, we're saying to God, I don't believe. When we worry, we're saying to God, I don't believe in you. I don't believe in your word. Is that what's happening? You know, God has said, I care for you, Christian. He says, all things work together for the good of those who love you. And when we worry and we're anxious, we're saying back to God, well, I, I don't believe you. I, I'm going to doubt. I don't believe you. I'm going to worry. That's worry, isn't it? That's what anxiety is. And then wait, wait. Watch prayer. Do you see how diametrically opposed it is to that? What's prayer? Prayer is an expression of our faith in God and our trust in God. When we pray, when you pray, what you're doing is acknowledging, yes, that, that God is God. When you pray, you're acknowledging that all things, large or small, fall under the sovereign control of a gracious God. When you pray, you're saying, God, you're glorious. You are great God. You are sovereign and in control. Now, we have to apply this for your life, right, for, for my life. And maybe it's kind of obvious <laughs> what we could do. What's that What's that mantra you're hearing on the news and on Twitter all the time? What's everyone saying to you just now? Wash your hands, right? How many times have you been told to wash your hands over the last couple of days, right? Do you see the Christian response? Yes, we wash our hands. But in this time of COVID-19, we must lift up holy hands in prayer. Yeah, we wash our hands. But then what we must do is clasp our hands and seek the face of the almighty God. We must bow before him in prayer. And yeah, maybe we have to be more specific and practical because we're supposed to pray in Thanksgiving. Yeah, but what else should you be praying for just now? Can I give you some suggestions, LCPC? Please take them down, take them into your week, pray about them with your family, by yourself, day by day. Please pray, first of all, for the medical professionals that are associated with LCPC. I don't need to list them, I don't need to embarrass them. But can you imagine some of the conditions that they're going to be working under over the next few days and, and weeks? And we've got to pray, don't we, for our political leaders, 
Don't you agree? Like I know some LCPC, we might not adhere to some of their, our government's political ideologies and so forth, and they're thinking, right, fine, yeah, I wouldn't want to be faced with some of the decisions that they have to make just now, would you? We must pray for them. We must pray for those who are ill. We must pray for those who have been bereaved. We must pray for the elderly. We must pray for the vulnerable. I would beseech you as well to pray and pray for the isolated and those who are lonely just now at London City Presbyterian Church. I would ask you to pray for the missionaries that we support, some of them in less developed parts of the world. But supremely, bottom line, number one, surely we have to pray and plead with God that he would show mercy at this time. Can you, for a second, imagine what it would be like if God were to use this pandemic to bring multitudes of people to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what it would be like if God should use in the United Kingdom to turn our country, to use this pandemic, to show many people their need, to show people the brevity of life, the fragility of life, to show them their need, but to show them the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like? Surely that there, if nothing else, prompts us to follow this alternative. We are not to be anxious. What should we do? We are not to be anxious. Let us instead make our requests made known to God. So we see what God does. He issues a caution. And the second thing he does is he provides us with an alternative. But then we're going to close. And we're going to close with a third thing. And that's that God here makes a promise. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you again. I don't know what's come over me. But uh, we're in the heart of my sleeve during this. I don't like saying this. And I've had to think about it a lot. But a couple of weeks ago, I was freaking out a little bit about the coronavirus. Not overly, but it was wrong that I was worried and I was I was anxious. Um, the areas of concern were pretty obvious to you, I'm sure. I was worried about my family when you start hearing about this stuff. I was especially worried about the the older members of my family, what this would mean for them. I was overly worried about that. And I was worried about you. I was worried about what this outbreak would mean for London City Presbyterian Church and for our members. Some of the more vulnerable members. Then this is what happened. I began to study the promise at the end of this section of scripture. And not to try and be too melodramatic. <laughs> um, my life was changed or my attitude was changed. And through this promise, God gave me great encouragement. Great encouragement. So this is, you understand me, do you, what I'm saying? That this promise is encouraging. But I wonder if you could also see and agree that this promise that God gives is also really unexpected because what can I, you know, what what would you expect if God is going to make a promise connected to prayer what promise do you think that would be 
Right? Would you not? This is what I would expect to hear. I would expect the promise to be that God is going to answer the prayer. Wouldn't you expect that? That's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting God to say, don't be anxious. Instead, pray, and I will. I will answer your prayer. And yet, that is not what we see in Philippians chapter 4. So can I ask you to look at this promise that can potentially... uh, Change your attitude here. Look at it with me. Look at verse 7. Let's get there. We're closing with this. So come on, let's look at verse 7. You got it? Look at verse 7. So he's saying, don't be anxious. Instead, pray. And then here's the promise God gives. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard you. So the peace of God will guard you. There's the promise. Now, that seems great. Like, that seems really nice, doesn't it? The peace will guard your life, your hearts and your minds. Sounds like a lovely promise. What, what does it mean? What does, what's God saying to us there? To answer this, I think I get to, at last, at last, I get to deal with the elephant in the room. Because <laughs> I know that some of you are sitting there, and this has crossed your mind. Some of you are sitting there, and at some point throughout this morning, you thought, why on earth did they read First Kings chapter 20? <laughs> right? If you're switched on, not just literally, but, you know, metaphorically, you've thought that, haven't you? You've, you've thought, well, that was a bit of a weird Old Testament reading to have. If we're talking about anxiety, why? Why did Andy, why, why did they read out a portion of scripture about Samaria. Now, a portion of scripture is about a city that is besieged and surrounded and a city that ultimately God rescues. Like, why? <laughs> some of you, right? Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, that's a really weird, weird portion of scripture. Right? Some of you are thinking it's strange. And others of you, I think you get it. You get it, don't you? Some of you realise that actually... It's you that has been as a city besieged through this coronavirus, right? That in your life what has happened, that the armies of anxiety have surrounded you over the last few days, that worry has been attacking you from all sides, laying siege to your emotions, laying siege to your thinking, right? Well, into that scenario, isn't it an incredible promise that God makes you? I mean, think about it again. What he say? The promise is, if you turn to him, if you turn to him, that peace, the peace of God will, what does he say? Will guard your heart and mind. Do, do you see what God is promising you? If you'll only turn to him in prayer at this time of coronavirus, God's promising to be your sentry. God is promising to be your protector at this time of coronavirus. Like, God is promising that he'll push back the armies of anxiety from your door. It's an awesome promise. Do you see why it changes my life? can change your life. We are seeing here that relief from anxiety for the Christian doesn't just come if you switch off your phone. Relief from anxiety will not just come if you pursue escapism. How does it come for us as Christians? Relief from anxiety comes if you... Even just now, even today, even this week, if you will fall, bow to your knees before the living God and take your burdens with thanksgiving to a God of all and mercy, if we will only go to that throne and pray, that's where the anxiety will be lifted off your shoulders.
And then I, I end. I end, I suppose, with the same matter. We ended the sermon we had last Sunday on CPC, if you were there, maybe you'll remember. The question to God, how can you be so good to us? Like to promise us your peace. At a time like this, when you are so God, holy and righteous and good, and we're so defiled by our sin, by our nature we are so corrupt, how can you maintain your justice? And how can you extend such goodness? To, how is that a right thing to do? How? Well, maybe you see it. That the answer to that question comes in the last three words of our text. In the last three words of verse 7. Look at them. Do you see what those the most precious words of all? God can be good to us. How? Only in and through who? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So I know what's going to happen. Like in a minute, you're going to switch off um, this online service and, and you're going to be, no matter how much you try not to be, you're going to be bombarded with information about COVID-19 and this epidemic. As you go away, I ask you, as a Christian, to consider the extent of what Christ Jesus has done for you. Do you see what Christ has done? Think about it. That there at the cross of Calvary, there at Golgotha, the Lord Jesus Christ out of grace, he has taken the great virus and he's taken it from you. He has taken that virus of sin upon himself that there at Calvary now consider it that the Lord Jesus Christ that he has taken the punishment that we deserve for our undue worry he has faced the wrath of God that should have been upon us for the way that we are overly anxious so much of the time and then you consider it that there at the cross even at the cross the Lord Jesus Christ he did not panic. There, dying for our sin, he was not unduly anxious. There at the cross, what does he do? Our Saviour, he cries out to God in faith. He cries out to his heavenly Father and he does so in prayer. Friends, I don't know what's going to happen over the next few weeks. We don't know what is going to happen with COVID-19. I do know that as Christians, we ought not to fear. Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isn't that amazing? We have a gracious God. We would not have a sovereign God in control of all of this. What must we not do? We must not worry. We must not be anxious. Friends, we must not panic. Let us instead, let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we 
bow to you and we thank you for the wonder of the gospel first and foremost. We thank you for what Christ has secured for all those who will turn to him in repentance and faith. We thank you that ours is the eternal peace of God. We have that in Christ Jesus. We thank you that there is no hostility, no enmity between your church and the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have done all. We want to confess our worry. We want to confess to you how anxious we so often are. Lord, help us to turn to prayer. Help us to seek your face. And we thank you that if we do that, the siege will end, that you will provide victory for the city, that you will grant us your peace. We thank you and we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.